From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As the Treasurer puts the finishing touches on the upcoming federal budget, one of the most important in a generation, he's facing pressure to spend big and keep the economy afloat. But can a government historically preoccupied with cutting spending and achieving a surplus take the plunge and provide more economic stimulus? Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on the challenge facing Josh Frydenberg and the country. Paul, next week, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, will deliver the budget after it was postponed because of the pandemic. So what do we know about what's coming? Oh, well, Ruby, last year, the government uh, delivered its now famous back in the black budget. But far from delivering the promised surplus for the financial year 2019-20, the Treasurer revealed last Friday a mind-blowing budget outcome of $85 billion in deficit, and uh, that's the biggest on record. According to a raft of economic forecasters, Treasurer Frydenberg will announce an absolutely mammoth deficit, topping that for next year, somewhere north of $200 billion. And, Ruby, we got a foretaste of how he'll pitch it earlier this week. Treasurer Frydenberg, at his joint news conference with the Prime Minister, said COVID-19 had changed the world. As we all know, COVID-19 has changed the world. COVID-19 has changed Australia. And COVID-19 has changed the way businesses do business. And he further said that recovery is underway everywhere except in the nation's second biggest state, Victoria. The Australian economy is operating at two speeds. There's Victoria and then there's the rest. Outside of Victoria, the jobs have come back. As the Prime Minister said, 458... But the problem for him as Federal Treasurer is that when 20% of the national economy has been ravaged by the pandemic running out of control, it presents daunting challenges for the Federal Government in many ways more than for the State Government. Okay, so the pandemic has blown a a massive hole in the budget and the coalition's plans for a surplus. So is there any indication that they are still committed to their long-term ideological goal of reducing debt? Uh, Well, this is where Josh Frydenberg gets lucky, luckier than, for example, Labor's Wayne Swan when he was treasurer. This treasurer has been offered a leave pass from his political opponents, the Reserve Bank, and a large number of influential economists to abandon the holy grail of budget surpluses. Any misgivings on the government's backbench have been muted. Uh, Frydenberg has abandoned his previous strategy to deliver surpluses, and I'm quoting uh, his mission statement of the past, to deliver statements of sufficient size to significantly reduce gross debt and eliminate net debt by the end of the medium term. The Treasurer has basically admitted that trying to limit debt is just not an option now. Unfortunately, in the face of this large economic shock, this is no longer the prudent or appropriate course of action. The benchmark he sets for a return to this goal will be when the unemployment rate is comfortably back under 6%. 
it would now be damaging to the economy and unrealistic to target surpluses over the forward estimates. Well, Deloitte Access Economics in its budget monitor believes this won't happen until after the next scheduled election in 2022. So if the government has the political freedom to, to spend whatever it wants, does that mean that we will see more stimulus? Well, one measure of the strange and unprecedented times we're living through is the fact that the $314 billion in support of the economy the government has announced since the pandemic is widely believed not to be enough. Frydenberg's rules for the government's responses to be timely, targeted and proportionate are hostage to the vagaries of the virus you know, a second wave in another state or indeed a third wave in Victoria would render obsolete the four-year forecasts and projections the Treasurer will unveil next week. Well, the Prime Minister says the budget will be one of the most important, if not the most important, since the Second World War. But one of the biggest consultancy firms in Australia, indeed in the world, EY, this week warned that the current plan to withdraw crisis response stimulus means Australia faces an income support cliff at a time when an insolvency cliff, productivity cliff and construction cliff also loom large. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, what are the economic risks that the government is facing as it draws up this budget? Well, Ruby, what EY is warning about can be sheeted home directly to the scaling down of the JobKeeper wage subsidy. There's no doubt that many businesses have been kept solvent by the payment and they'll fall over with its withdrawal. More than a third of the nation's businesses are on JobKeeper. It's paying the wages of nearly 30%. This was dramatically brought home by the ABC Four Corners report this week that two out of three businesses in the New South Wales coastal resort town of Byron Bay are accessing the payment to keep employees on the books and their wages paid. Shuttered shops give a hint of the pain. Tourism made Byron Bay wealthy but vulnerable. They are being hit by the decline in domestic and international tourism. I guess it's just like any farmer who's got uh, one crop. You know, if you've got a monoculture and that crop fails or the market drops, you know, the farmer's not left with much else. And so Byron's very similar. 
and unfortunately their plight is shared around the nation. Mm. So what are economic experts calling for in order to avoid collapse? Well, modelling by EY suggests a mix of policies, including personal income tax cuts, maintaining a higher job seeker unemployment payment rate and infrastructure spending. Uh, EY says this would be effective in maintaining economic growth. Their chief economist, Joe Masters, has a lifeline, in fact, for a Prime Minister contemplating a platform for re-election. She says fiscal spending of about $60 billion extra over the next two years could lower unemployment by about 1%. I mean, we don't want to live on life support forever, and we do want the economy to move back to standing on its own two feet, led by the private sector. But that's going to take time. Confidence in households and businesses is very weak. And while that's the case, we do need to support household income and we do need to support those most vulnerable. Now, another area the government could look to invest in is social housing. In fact, a survey of 49 economists this week put social housing as top of the list. But so far, the federal government's balking at a social housing construction program, or at least a boosted one, Federal government sources tell me it's up to the states to pull their weight, go out and borrow the millions, if not hundreds of millions needed, to meet the estimated shortfall of 433,000 places in this sector. You know, the housing sector generally is vulnerable to the collapse in immigration as well. Frydenberg said last week Australia's population growth is expected to slow to its lowest rate in over 100 years. Paul, there have been some murmurings that the Prime Minister might head to an early election to avoid having to deal with the full extent of the economic downturn. How likely is that? Well, while Morrison and Frydenberg can claim that Australia is weathering the pandemic both in health and economic terms better than most countries... There is a wide expectation in party circles that the Prime Minister will go to an election in around September next year because this would avoid the risk of things getting worse in the enduring unpredictable circumstances. Some Liberals believe the PM would prefer a double dissolution, taking out the whole Senate as a way of keeping the numbers in the upper house skewing more to the right. You know, Malcolm Turnbull did this in 2016 and it worked to a point. Mm. Would an early double dissolution election work for Morrison? Well, South Australian independent Rex Patrick is one who doubts Morrison will do it. He told me the PM will not want to risk having a clutch of Pauline Hanson or Clive Palmer senators in the parliament to deal with like uh, Turnbull had. He may be right, but Morrison, according to those who've worked with him over the years, well, he'll keep all his options open. Uh, We know that he's a very successful political main chancer. Uh, The Prime Minister would need a double dissolution trigger, though, where the Senate rejects a government bill twice. So far, he hasn't got one. But a Liberal told me it wouldn't be hard to revisit the union-busting industrial relations bill that was shelved earlier in the year when the pandemic demanded national unity. Senator Patrick says that would be the Liberal leopard regaining its old spots. Mm. And what do you think, Paul? Do you think Scott Morrison would go down this path? Well, I think that um, 
as I say, he's a political main chancer and there is a wide expectation that we will go to an election, whether it's a half-Senate or a double dissolution, uh, next year, in the second half of next year. Mind you, if he goes to a double dissolution, he has to do it in the first half of the year because there's a constitutional constraint, which we don't need to go into. But uh, all options, I'm sure, are on the table. And the guiding light here is the uncertainty of the virus. Paul, thank you so much for talking to me today. Well, thank you, Ruby. Bye. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the Victorian government has stood down private security in the state's current hot hotel quarantine program. They've been replaced by police officers after concerns were raised about poor infection control. As we reported on 7am on Monday, there have been multiple COVID-19 cases among staff at two quarantine hotels since the beginning of August. The government has now confirmed that nine staff, including five contractors, have tested positive. Victoria's Hotel Quarantine Inquiry will now investigate how staff at those two hotels became infected. Victoria recorded 15 new cases and two deaths on Thursday, bringing the state's death toll to 800. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Michelle Macklem. Elle Marsh is our Features and Field Producer in a position that's supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our Editor-in-Chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Subscribe in your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.